Father God, again, we thank you for this time. We do it once a month, but God, it is so special to be able to share in that together. And we just thank you for uh, the things you have spoken here in this time. We pray that you would seal it up, and that would be, uh, we would honor and glorify the things that you've said to us. Father God, as we turn now to your word, we just invite you to speak to us today that we'd be challenged in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we have a very special guest with us here, and I'm going to butcher the Brazilian last name. I'm so sorry, Paulo. Uh, Lindell Campbell Requia, that's not it, but uh, is here to share with us. Lindell has been a missionary in Brazil since 2004. Three. Oh, boy. The NAB website's wrong, then. I'm going to blame them. Uh, 2003. Yes, Lindell, wonderful to have you with us. Uh, she has been serving as a full-time professor at the Rio Grande do Sul, again, I'm sorry, that's close, uh, Baptist, I can say that one, Theological Seminary, uh, training pastors and ministry leaders for service in the church in many different ways in Brazil. She is involved in ministry and leadership as well in many different ways uh, through the connections and relationships that she has built through the seminary and preparing men and women for service and leadership in the kingdom in so many different ways. Uh, in 2010, she and Paulo were married, and they worked together uh, church planting and chaplaincy and discipleship and lots of different things, and Paulo's heavily involved in ministry in so many different ways, and we just pray blessings upon you as well. Uh, we as a church family here have been supporting Lindell all the way since 2011, and we are excited to just have her here to share with us today. And uh, just let me pray for you as you uh, step in and uh, share what God's been laying on your heart this morning. But uh, Father God, we again just thank you for just what your spirit is doing around the world, God. And these reminders that we have that your church exists around the world, stretching through time. Just wherever your body is, where believers are gathered, we are there in your spirit and we work together. And so, God, we just thank you for the work that Lindell is doing as she leads and trains pastors and ministry leaders and just the, uh, the powerful work that she has in discipleship and teaching. And so, God, we just pray as she speaks to us here this morning that your spirit would be upon her, God, that you would fill her with passion for the words that you've given to her, that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear from you today, God, that we would be challenged. Uh, we just thank you for this, and we just ask your blessing over this time in Jesus' name. Amen. It was late at night, and my husband Paulo and I were returning to our home after giving a ride to the secretary from the seminary. We were on a secondary highway, which was almost deserted at this point, and suddenly my husband pulled the car over to the side of the road. Two little lights had distracted him as he drove in the dark. Now, anyone who knows my husband knows he has an extremely compassionate heart for any kind of animal. We carry dog food in our trunk to give to the strays that we encounter. So I immediately knew that he had stopped the car because he had seen an animal. What he had discovered was the kitten you see in this photo. He grabbed it, got back into the car, and gave it to me. At first, I was distracted about how cute it was and how it didn't seem to be afraid of us. But then, the reality of the situation started to sink in. And I began to imagine the idea of keeping this kitten. Now, you see, we've had lots of different animals in our car, even a turtle. 
But I was beginning to become worried about how this little kitten would adapt to a house that had two dogs and three birds, or how the dogs and the birds would adapt to this little kitten. And besides that, I am allergic to cats. But Paula assured me that we would have no problem adopting this kitten. And so the next day, I was able to capture this photo <laughs> of this kitten playing in my plant. And in less than 24 hours, we found a home for Seth with one of our church members. We humans are constantly distracted in life, are we not? Most of these distractions are not very good because they take us away from what we're supposed to be focusing on. I mean, I'm now at that age, 53, I'll confess it, where it's very, very common, and it happens on a daily basis, where I will be looking for someone, and, I, and when I reach the place where I think it is, I can't even remember what I'm looking for anymore because I was so distracted on the way there. But see, I think there are times that God uses distractions to get our attention, and I would call these holy distractions. He did it with Moses in the burning bush. And I'm sure we can all think of other biblical examples and perhaps even examples in our own lives of God distracting us so we can be more useful for him. So I invite you to open up your Bibles with me and let's read the story of the Canaanite woman together in Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28 hear a little bit about this wonderful encounter that I so relate to. Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came up to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and feed it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. In a way, Jesus faced constant distractions. A lot of times, these distractions came from the religious leaders of the day, challenging him and confronting him about who he was and what he was doing. And the next slide kind of shows us a little bit about the challenges that he faced with these, these leaders. What's really fascinating is right before we encounter this story at the beginning of Matthew 15, we see that once again, the religious leaders and the Pharisees had traveled all the way from Jerusalem to confront Jesus about his disciples eating food with unclean hands. That's a big, long trip in that day just to bug someone. And then we see in verse 21 that Jesus takes his disciples to a region that was the, one of the furthest distances from where Jesus traveled, the region of Tyre and Sidon. 
It was away, a long ways away from the territory of the Jewish people. And we know that Jesus, he didn't actually travel much during his ministry on earth. He tried, he mainly stayed in near the Galilee Sea and, and Jerusalem and in that part of the area. But for the first time, it says he withdrew. And so it looks to me as if he was trying to escape more distractions. You know, and, and what's really interesting is that he wasn't known for traveling so far away. And, and the only event that took place in this region of Tyre and Sidon was this encounter with this Canaanite woman. It was as if Jesus purposed to go there to get away from it all, and even then he faced one more distraction. And the next slide talks a little about this new distraction. He even said, Jesus had even said to this woman, I came only for the lost sheep of Israel. But arriving in this new place, here was this new distraction. But it was a different kind of distraction, wasn't it? This time, I believe it was a holy distraction. And the distraction is a Canaanite woman who is desperate. She obviously knows who Jesus is. I mean, she even called him son of David. That's a really important title for Jesus. And probably much to her surprise, there he was, right in front of her. Has that ever happened to you? The only person that could help this woman was right in front of her. Now, I'm not a mother, but I can imagine that any mother who has a child suffering will do whatever it takes to help their child. So, so she, go, she went after Jesus, and she was calling on him and pleading with him and begging him. And how do Jesus and the other disciples respond to her? The next slide. Another distraction. Is there no escape? Can't Jesus just get a break? Even for a few days? At first, Jesus ignores her. But then even his disciples draw attention to her, asking Jesus to send her away. But would Jesus really ever send anyone away? Has Jesus ever sent you away? Isn't it interesting to wonder, are we in our own little self-absorbed worlds ever distractions to Jesus and what he is trying to do? But the woman persisted, as we see in the next slide. And Jesus tested her faith. Does she really believe? And now for my favorite part in the story. This woman stood her ground. She did believe that Jesus was her only hope, that Jesus had what it took to be able to cure her daughter, to send these demons away, to release her daughter from this oppression. And so she cried out, Lord, help me. And what was Jesus' response? It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. And then, in one of, it's, this is my favorite part, she used logic to defend her position. But Jesus, even the dogs, 
eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table? Dogs! The one thing that constantly distracts my husband. <laughs> you see, I believe that the Lord has given my husband a special ability to care for these animals who are just as much a part of God's creation as we are. But back to the story. Jesus responded to her. Jesus recognized her faith, and he answered her. But what's really interesting in this story, and the next slide will show this, is that I believe that this holy distraction was not a holy distraction for Jesus. Rather, it was a holy distraction for the disciples. And the reason I believe this is the reason why Jesus took this trip so far away. I believe he took this trip to Tyre and Sidon to help this woman, but I believe he took his disciples with them <clears throat> to prove a very important point to his disciples. I believe that Jesus wanted to show his disciples that he, in fact, was the Messiah that they were waiting for. He was the promised one. And I also believe that when Jesus said, I came only for the lost sheep of Israel, he was redefining what that word Israel means. Israel are the people that put their faith in Jesus Christ. And what's really, really cool is that in chapter 16, once again, see, here's the deal. Jesus went to Tyre and Sidon, then he went back to the Sea of Galilee, and all of a sudden he took another big, long trip away from where the Jewish people lived. And in fact, he went to a place called Caesarea Philippi, which is a place that no good Jewish person would appear. No good Jewish person would find themselves in this place unless they were absolutely lost. But Jesus, on purpose, took his disciples to this city, Caesarea Philippi, and he took them to the mouth of this cave and it was a place where there was a god that was being worshipped and there was a temple to this god. And it was known as the gates of Hades, where the, the place where the demons would come out of the earth, into the earth. And it was at this place, only a chapter later, that he asked the disciples, who do you think I am? And Peter said, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, you are right. And on this rock, I will build my kingdom and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Praise the Lord. It was the first moment that the disciples, that you know, that they finally figured it out, that Jesus was the one they, they'd been waiting for and they declared it. And they declared it in a place that wasn't even in the Jewish territory. Because Jesus not only came for these people, his own people, the Jewish people, he came for all of us who put our faith in him. But now I'm getting distracted, aren't I? Let's get back to our story. When Pastor Dustin and I were talking a couple of weeks ago, he said, Lindell, I don't want just a missionary report. And I don't blame him because, you know, like, this moment is the moment where we open up God's word. And he said, I want you to share who is Jesus for you. And that's not an easy question to answer. How would you answer that question? 
Do you have an answer? You see, these last couple of years have been difficult, challenging years for all of us, haven't they? It's, it's like we're in a time of lament. You know, we've all experienced loss. We as a church family have experienced being separated. There are still some people who are not here with us in body because they're watching online. There's that separation. For those of us, you know, in, in far places, we've, we've felt the separation, I think, even a little bit more as, you know, we heard that the, the country borders were being closed and, you know, opportunities to even go home if we needed to were even more limited. And I, for one, have had to sit behind a computer screen for the last two years and try and minister through a computer screen. And the focus has been on things that we have no control over in many ways. The focus has been on a pandemic. The focus is, has been on, do I get vaccinated or not? Why do I have to wear a mask? And now, even lately, the focus has been on, on a war that is, that is tearing us apart, that is giving us uh, cause for concern. And during these last two years, Paulo and I have been touched personally with loss. We've lost friends. We've lost colleagues to, to, to COVID. Paulo himself almost passed away from COVID. And my own family, we've had losses. My dad passed away last year. Six months later, six months and a day later, his brother passed away. And now just a few weeks ago, we lost my mom's sister, my aunt, who was very close. We were very close to her. So who is Jesus to me? Like the Canaanite woman, Jesus is my only hope. There's no other hope in this world. There's a book that was written by Eugene Peterson called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's about our journey of faith, of following Jesus, and just this long process that it is. And, and he says, there's a quote in the next slide, and it says, the central reality for Christians is the personal, unalterable, persevering commitment God makes to us. Perseverance is not the result of our determination. It is the result of God's faithfulness. It's easy to give up, isn't it? I'm sure there's things we've all given up on. We have a, a ballet school in our church in Brazil, and one of the, the director of the school was giving adult classes, and so Paulo and I thought, hey, maybe this is a good way we can exercise. And so right before the pandemic started, we went and had a ballet class, and I just praised the Lord for the pandemic on that reason, <laughs> because I could give up being a ballerina. <laughs> It's easy to give up, and it's easy to give up on our faith journey. You know, it'd be really easy for Paulo and I to, to stay in Canada. But is that why we're here? Is that our purpose in life? There's a verse that means so much to me. It's one of my very favorite verses in the Bible. 
And actually, just the very first part of this verse, it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. It says, the love of Christ compels us. Compels. That's a very strong word. How many times a day are we compelled to do things? A lot. I, I imagine every single person here, not every single person, some of you wake up, you have that beautiful biological clock that wakes you up at 8 o'clock in the morning every day or 7 o'clock and you don't need to set an alarm, but my alarm compels me to get up. Traffic lights on the way here compelled me to stop or go to not cause accidents. But what does the love of Christ compel you to do? You see, the very first time my husband shared the gospel in front of me, it was brilliant. He was sharing about how he knows for a fact that this Christianity that we follow is the only true religion. He said all of the religi religions in the world, they, they try and reach God, much like the Tower of Babel, right? They, they do all these different things so that they can try and get to where God is. Isn't it true if we think about it? They have all these different rituals they have to do or steps they have to go through, you know, and, they, and it's the whole aim is to get to where God is. But Christianity is different, isn't it? It's the only religion in this whole world where God has come to us. He has come to us. He persists after us. Nothing, nothing can stop God's love for us. Have you ever thought about that? He is so determined. He is so persistent. He perseveres because of his commitment to us. And it has nothing to do with us and what we do. But it's because God is faithful. And if that doesn't give you hope, I don't know what does. How many times have I shared the gospel with people and they've said to me, oh, but I, I just need to, sw to quit smoking or I need to quit drinking or I just, I just, there's just these things I have to take care of before I make that decision to follow the Lord. But that is just flat out lies that the enemy is telling them. There's nothing that we need to do to reach God. God came to us. And that's what fills me with hope. It fills me with hope during a pandemic. It fills me with hope during war. It fills me with hope when I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It fills me with hope when I lose loved ones who are so special with me to me. And it fills me with hope when I see my husband using an oxygen concentrated generator to keep his blood oxygen saturation level just at bare minimum, which is acceptable for having COVID, when three hospitals have turned us away. Who is Jesus to me? Right at this moment, in my long journey, he's my hope. 
And another promise that has been so great in the next slide is found in John 16, 33. Jesus said to his disciples, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Who has trouble in this world? We all do. But take heart. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus knows the future. Jesus is with us in the present. He's carried us through the past. He's our only hope. And see, it's at these moments that Jesus distracts us with the truth of who he is and what he's done for us that these holy distractions become holy encounters. A woman, a Canaanite woman, running after him on the road, calling out to him, begging with him, pleading with him. What did Jesus give her? He gave her a moment of holiness, a holy encounter. He gave her hope that there was a cure for her daughter. And that's what he does for us. And so during this pandemic, these are the ways that God has distracted me and given me hope. In the next slide, you see a, a photo of how I've been living my life for the last two years as a seminary professor. And when we finished 2019, we had nine seminary students at our little seminary. It's a very small little seminary. I'm, I'm one of two full-time professors. And during the pandemic, God tripled the size of our seminary. Tripled! We, have 33, we had 33 students when I left Canada to come, or Brazil to come to Canada. I don't even know where I am anymore. But, um, and this year, we had five new students. Three graduated, so that's, um, I'm not good at math. But anyways, we have over 30 students, and it's very exciting. We launched the Kairos program so we can offer master's degrees and doctor degrees in in our little state in Brazil, it's the first time in history that a seminary in our state has been able to offer something like this. And we launched with our pilot project group of 14 students, 10 doing masters, four doing doctorates, and it's just been an amazing, amazing experience for us to be able to offer a contextualized education for these pastors. The next slide is a miracle. It's a miracle. If this doesn't give us hope, if this doesn't give me hope and you hope, I don't know what will. But we are like a very unreached state in Brazil, the most unreached state. Our, our Baptist population is 0.09% of the population. And I think the true evangelical population is between 2 and 4%. And so the focus since I've been in Brazil for the last 19 years has been on church planting, church planting, church planting. Well, the next slide shows you a miracle. During the pandemic, seven church plants became organized churches. Seven. When has that happened in Alberta? <laughs> seven new churches were born. And this church was planted by a former student of mine who just was ordained as a minister. Yay for him. I'm so excited. And his church, was, his church plant was organized into a church. This man, he came all the way from Rio de Janeiro, which is like this huge, huge city of 8 million people, more than the population of Alberta. He came to this little rural community, got his farmer's license, started planting a church by riding around on a bicycle that he built, 
And it's a bicycle that's got a speaker on it, and he would, like, play gospel music, and he'd preach in the neighborhoods. I asked him, his name's Marillo. I say, Marillo, how many times a week do you ride your bicycle? And he said, eight times a week. I know it's not enough, he said. I'm like, that's more than once a day. What do you mean it's not enough? And he, he every, time, every night before church starts, it's in the evening there, he puts out chairs in front of the, on the street in front of the building, and he has like what, this special tea that we drink down there, and he invites people to come and drink tea with him. I mean, I said to him, how many people in this community do you think know you? He said, oh, everybody knows me. And I'm like, I don't doubt that, Marilo. And, and I'm just so excited. Seven churches. Like that, I cried when I found out this, no, this news. It's just a, a beautiful miracle. And then the next slide shows you during, we, our church was closed for nine months in 2020. Our building, not the church, the building. And a couple, or a lady was walking by the church, saw Paulo's phone number, wrote it down, phoned, her husband phoned my husband and said, we want a pastoral visit, the husband. So my, my husband went and visited them in their home, and, and he arrived there and he said, what can I do for you? And they said, we want to accept Christ as our Savior. When does that happen? <laughs> and, and they came to Christ, and our very first service in 2020, after we had been closed, our church building had been closed for nine months, was their baptismal service. Woo! Get excited! We just read Psalm 150. We're supposed to, like, clang cymbals, you know, like all this stuff. Um, and, and then, that December, another family came to Christ. And we had to close down our building again in 2021 for six months and then we opened our building, and again, you guessed it, our very first service in August of last year was a baptismal service in winter in Brazil. And I know you think, oh, that's nothing. You guys don't know about winter, but it was like probably the water was like almost zero. But they went through the waters of baptism, and the next slide shows you a photo of this, this last couple that came to Christ, and their daughter did as well. They... Uh, they weren't married, and so they said, we want to we wanna make things right. We want to get married. They're from a poor family. But we, this last December, we had their wedding. The husband, he borrowed his suit because they don't have money to buy. And Paulo and I, our wedding gift was his shirt and tie. Woo! <laughs> Got to have a shirt and tie, right? And the bride wore my wedding dress. How cool is that? So exciting. Yeah. And then the last slide, I love this story. I, one of my students, he just graduated with his pastoral formation course, and he's taking Kairos, and his church has hired him on as associate pastor. And, and he, his church building used to be a mechanic's garage. And so if you can imagine this, on both sides of the church are giant garage doors. And so they said, hey, let's allow the city, if they want to do, like, vaccines, we'll open up our building, and they can use it as a drive through to vaccinate people. And so he was in charge of putting together the team responsible for working with the city and the nurses and everything to welcome them and set up for them. And, and also they would like have uh, serve water and coffee to the people that were coming and they would pray for these people. And one day he sent me this photo. <laughs> and one of the farmers, he doesn't have a car because the farmers are a lot, you know, they don't, they're not that rich in Brazil. And so, he decided he needed to go get vaccinated, so he just took his tractor and pulled into the church. And, and I just, you know, when I saw this photo, I said, doesn't Jesus love this? Jesus loves this. Jesus would love if you could pull in a tractor 
here at Fellowship to offer this kind of service for a man who had no other way of getting it and to pray with him, to give him some water and to give him hope. This is who Jesus is to me. And this is why as difficult as it is going to be to get on that plane on Tuesday and leave my family behind, this is why I go. Christ's love compels me. Let's pray. I would just have loved to have been there, Lord. As you had that conversation with this Canaanite woman. And as she looked at you and said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. What a beautiful message of hope that is. That even we, who are so undeserving, can access your grace, can access your love, can access your forgiveness, and be, can become free. Thank you for the hope that we have in you, Jesus. May we live our lives knowing about this hope in every moment. And when the times come that, that try and take us off what should be our focus, may you bring us a holy distraction that can become a holy encounter so that we might get back on the right path. Thank you that you are persistent, that you are determined, that you come to us because there's no way we could get to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for supporting me as a missionary. Thank you for all your prayers and your, your financial support. And thank you so much for this opportunity. Love you guys.